Hello, welcome to Busy Minds Podcast, where we explore ideas, discuss the human experience, talk practical lessons, and make amazing discoveries. Join us again for this episode. Sit back, listen, and enjoy this topic. When asked a question in the Bible, Jesus Christ said, and I quote, From the beginning, it was not so. When you untether or isolate a current norm from the context, you risk making the mistake of taking that norm as an objective standard. You're welcome once again to Busy Minds Podcast. I am your host, Busy Minds, or Jack D. And I will be taking you on a short knowledge trip on recency bias. So, before I go right in, I would like to intimate you on why you should take this uh, bias seriously or, or not. If you decide not to, you know, I can't exactly force you. You will have to want it anyway. So, uh, I'm just here to share this little thing that I already wrote about on my newsletter. All right. So, um, yeah, uh, going back to Jesus's quote, I think. Um, the issue the Pharisees were asking him about was the concept of divorce. All right, so um, is a man allowed to put his wife away? Moses did allow us to put our wives away, and Jesus was like, "Well, from the beginning, though, it was not so." So, uh, if there was something I learned from there, I found out that uh, we can be practicing something that we look at as the norm, but we are only looking at it as the norm because we have detached it from. Uh, uh, from its from its historical context, as we've detached it from this long sequence of uh, events that have happened over time, and then you now take your current standard as the norm and every other standard as an anomaly. So it is important to take recency bias seriously. I don't know why I keep emphasizing this seriously because, as far as I'm concerned, it's it's not something you would need in your everyday life. If you're not exactly uh, someone who cares about logic every step of the way, there are many things you won't have to bother yourself about. That, that, that's the truth. But um, I've accepted my fate. I will never be 100% objective. But as much as I can, I can reduce the distortions and misconceptions and the wrong notions I hold. And that's why learning some of these things uh, it's usually useful or it's useful so recency bias recency bias results from having a narrow scope or perspective on history when you are totally fixed on how things are in recent memory you risk judging everything from the past and going forward based on what you see now and i mean that uh you think that as it is now so it was from the beginning now to track back on jesus's uh uh, chatter with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were like, "Okay, Moses did allow us to put away our wives. So, what say you if you are, you know, this gracious, benevolent, all-knowing teacher?" And Jesus replies, "Well, this divorce thing, from the beginning, it was not so. Uh, Moses allowed it, he said, for the because of the hardness of your hearts. So, um, if I." God Jesus Christ correctly. He was saying, okay, this was not how this thing was intended. This was not how this thing started. 
but at some point in time we had we had to uh break the norm so that you can have your way and so i think as one question we have to ask ourselves that how many times have we deviated from what is good and what is the standard and we have now accepted our own and distorted and faulty standard as the objective perfect standard and then we'll look at everything else like it's dung or we'll look at everything else like they are substandard okay so um when you fall for the recency bias you take your situation as a standard and you take every other uh, situations every other circumstance every other option as the odd one out or as uh, anomalies or as substandard all right but it is it is highly possible when you have uh, fallen prey to the recency bias that your reality your situation is the anomaly so if you look at the uh, set of options that you have in the course of history you may find out that yours is the odd one out so yours is the black among the whites or yours is the gray among the black it's just the odd one out it doesn't perfectly fit it may be different it may be better yes it may be better the, that option remains it may be better so but the idea is look at how things are going in your generation and compare it with where we are coming from all right new is not always better it's something i've come to find out new is not always better and so it's it's appalling when you find people embracing new for the sake of new it's that's pure neomania it's not yeah, we keep saying that change is the only constant thing, so embrace change. But there's a difference between embracing change for the sake of change and embracing uh, the wisest options. Now, the newest option might be the, or yeah, the newest option might be the best. It's very possible. But the newest option can also be the rubbishest, if you allow me to use that word. So, now, um, let me quickly jump to why or the the overall problem recency bias poses especially when you cling to your situation as an objective standard and i say the problem is the, the problem of harsh judgment so uh imagine that you grew up believing that anybody below 30 years is perhaps too young to get married maybe a lady or a guy you just believe you believe that a 24 year old adult is still a baby so you don't see any reason why a 24 year old uh, should get married uh, and have kids because ah, come on in their they're just in their mid-20s they're still babies how can they be having other babies and Okay, it's very possible to feel a, a, a certain way concerning these things, but when you cling so much, of course, as with every form of bias, is that when you cling so much to the bias and it becomes a real part of your identity, becomes a real part of your ego, then you you become fierce, you become aggressive, and you attack everyone who goes you know, the other way 
because this is the problem with having standards the problem with having standards is that things that fall short of the standard are judged harshly so standards exist in every uh, spheres and specters of life standards exist and we use these standards to aggregate our situation so that we can easily spot out spot the things that are odd and many times when we find things that are not up to standard our first instinct is not to maybe help them get into the standard which sometimes it's totally impossible but sometimes we'll go ahead and attack so the downsides the biggest downside to anger clinging on to recency bias is uh, harsh judgment you know a certain sense of aggression but then one another downside to recency bias is the stifling lack of optionality when you think that what you have is the best and the only way because let me take that again when you think that what you have is the best and the only way when that way doesn't work out, you will be so frustrated. Now, uh, I realize that something, having options can reduce your stress level. When you have just one option, you are too fragile because you are scared that should this option not work out, you are doomed, you are stuck, you are frustrated. But when you have multiple options, well, not too much though, because there's the paradox of abundance where you have too many options to choose from and you become paralyzed, you know, you become paralyzed from uh, too much options. But I'm just talking about the right amount of options that allows you to make a good choice without regrets that you are forfeiting your, you know, other options. But let's come back to the topic. I uh, take a detour. Let's come back. So, a downside to the recency bias is the stifling lack of opportunity in the sense that if you think, okay, if you think that the only path for me to make it in life is to go through school, study this one particular course, if I don't study this particular course, I am doomed. You see, when you don't have options like that, yes, on one side, it could uh, cause you to be very fierce and very motivated, you know, it propels you to... Uh, Give it all you have, seeing that your eye is single. But there are times you need the options to become less fragile and sometimes to be anti-fragile. I don't know if you get me. So, recency bias, you say, my way, the recent way is the best and the only way. When that fails to work out, you are stuck. No one can help you. You are frustrated. And just before you know, you start lashing out on people. You start being angry. You are hurt. Why? Because you are short of options. So that's the second downside, not the gravest. The first and the most grievous downside to the recency bias, like I said, is a harsh judgment and aggression. And the second downside to the recency bias is the stifling lack of op optionality. When you think that what you have is the best and the only way, you will think that there is no other way uh, to attain something and you, you are most likely going to be deceived. But if you can look into the past and look into the chain events of the past, you may be, you may be able to find uh, alternative options that you can work with or that can influence your current opinions and decisions. Now, I want you to know that all in all, I will be seeking a certain example of um, using uh, of of 
explaining uh, why people getting married late is not the norm. It's a recent development. All right, it's a recent development. It's not something that started hundreds of years ago. I don't know. It's not. It's not. It's barely seventy years when uh, the average marriage age across the world was about 22 for females and 25 for males. So if you are still saying hey, uh, a 24-year-old, a 23-year-old girl is still um, still a baby, yes, that's the word they, they use because uh, I follow trends a lot. I observe people saying one thing or another and they are so, you know, so sure that they hold or they are speaking objective facts so but let's quickly look at an example from football strikers so uh my generations my generation is blessed with uh wonderful strikers we have cristiano ronaldo we have Lionel messi we have robert lewandowski we have luis suarez we have karim benzema so we have seen these guys uh perform excellently all right especially cristiano ronaldo and Lionel messi who uh, scored an average of 40 goals per year per season for 10 straight years. Now, that's, that's magnificent. Now, if you observe these strikers in football, uh, you, if you observe them only, you know, you use them as your sample set to observe what strikers do and what strikers are capable of, your 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 outcome will be skewed against other strikers because these guys are exceptional they live on the edge that's they are outliers you were to draw a graph of strikers these guys will find themselves in a way that you will, you will not be able to plot them along a line all right so but if you take these strikers Cristiano ronaldo leonardo messi robert lewandowski and Luis Suarez as your regular sample set, your outcome, your result is going to be distorted. All right? You'll be fooled into thinking that an average striker is expected to score 40 goals a season. So if you were a scout who uses uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, Robert Lewandowski, uh, and Luis Suarez as your base standard, when you go out to scout for uh, maybe, maybe young players, all right? Young players for... A football team you start thinking okay let me scout for someone who scores you know at the age of 16 scoring or 17 scoring 20 professional goals or 20 goals in a professional league knowing that well he, he would um, scale and improve over time well you if you were a scout with that mindset oh boy would you be disappointed you'll be very disappointed because like i like i said these guys are these guys are something else. They are outliers. They, they don't. They are. They are. They are not normal. Yeah, that's the word. They are not normal. But if you were to widen your scope, you realize that these names are exceptions. They are not norms. All right. So some of the some of the best trackers in history years ago, where we 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 lauded them for pulling off thirty goals or less a season. All right. Uh, strikers were being applauded for getting 25 goals a season 30 goals a season 40 goals 
Wow, you mean he scored 40 goals? Wow, 40 goals was exceptional. Uh, yet, Lionel Messi did 73 goals in one season. All right. Now, of course, past generations had uh, absurdists too when with strikers. I think with people like Jed Muller and Pele, and, you know, those guys too were exceptional as well. But they were the exceptions in their day. So, we've learned that, okay, let us appreciate these guys who still pull off 20, 25, 30 goals a season. You know, they are nothing near Lionel Messi, Robert Lewandowski, Cristiano Ronaldo. But we'll take what we get, alright? But that's only because now you have an open mind, you have a bigger scope, and now your sample set uh, is more robust, alright? Now, using the analogy of the football strikers, there's a way you can favor behaviors, norms, uh, standards in a certain timeline. And when I'm, what I mean by timeline is generation as the average or normal one across all generations. For example, if you believe, if you believe that um, if I were to pose it to you that Gen Z have the, you know, the most rampant cases of mental health issues someone can come along and say hey 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 people have always had mental health issues uh, they probably didn't just you know speak about it gen z are just very you know uh, vocal about their mental health issues you know but come on that's a lie well, i don't okay it might not be an obvious lie but it's, it's debatable <sighs> the 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 no come on the theory it's is clearly against it so when you think that okay gen z suffers largely from you know mental health issues and you say oh if it's been if it's been like this if it's like this then maybe it has always been like this we didn't just know about it you know we now claim uh, uh opacity or claim um, obscurity that we didn't know the facts they were less vocal no uh you will find out that people were more healthy mentally in past generations maybe because they had to cope and they didn't have you know places to unload uh, and so they dealt with it and didn't devolve into the whatever we have in with gen z now all right so um i i of course wrote about uh, academic philosophy for one i don't like academic philosophy and it is one of the places where recency bias hit the whole uh the whole sector academic philosophy uh someone if you didn't go to school right now to study philosophy and get a philosophy degree you are most likely not going to be uh referred to as a philosopher and i could not think of any bs bullshit bigger than that because if we check the historical concept of what philosophy ever was, you find out that it was, in fact, philosophy in the long in the long chain of history has always resembled the armchair philosophy more than it resembled what they do in the ivory tower of Babel, right? The universities. So, uh, so for all of a sudden, uh, two centuries ago. Uh, analytic philosophy in the West came, shifted the grounds, um, built this certain prestige for themselves, and then ordained themselves as you know, the philosophers. 
and then the people outside are just enthusiasts you know it's, it's nonsense it's recency bias on a very 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 large scale and it should not hold all right you should be you should be proud enough to do your armchair philosophy and know that you are not violating anything you don't need a degree all right so the academic model that gives philosophy its modern significance and veracity is a recent development in the last two centuries. It has not always been so. To limit yourself and hence be ashamed to use the term philosopher is a disservice to the root words of philosophy which means the love of wisdom, where philo means love and sophia means wisdom. And on the day I wrote the article on my newsletter, I found a good word from a random guy on the internet to describe what most academic philosophers engage in. He called it acumenology, which is the study and explanation of other clever people. So what I see comes uh, out from, uh, you know, the Ivory Tower of Babels, you know, the universities, is acumenology. You find a Socrates scholar, you find a Plato scholar, you find a Marx scholar, you know, people who are scholars in the real you know, OGs, the real OGs of, uh, of philosophy, but they themselves have no real um, worth when it comes to wisdom. So now let's let's leave academic philosophy alone uh, and the acumenology. Let's go to what happens uh, when recency bias finds expression in a crowd. So when recency uh, when recency bias finds expression in a crowd, it devolves into madness. In the sense that now there, it is one thing for someone to have a bias all right and be so distorted and it is another thing for that bias to explode on a large scale so imagine ten thousands of people having a particular bias now they have uh, a mecca like structure that uh, they can all bind around and you know it becomes the energy produced is sufficient to attack someone who seems to be deviating from the norm so when everyone around you on whom your social belonging depends as the only normal state of affairs you risk looking insane and post uh, you, you risk looking insane and you risk possible ostracism if you take a different path because you now know and now see better so uh whatever decision you're going to make understand this one thing you're a human being and you cannot do without uh, a community. You cannot do without belonging socially. So it's one of the ways where, one of the ways we punish people is to ostracize them, you know, cast them out, rob them of community, rob them of um, social belonging. Uh, opinions sometimes puts you at the risk of getting ostracized. All right. So when you hold um, an opinion that abuses or disabuses the recency bias on a large scale, you know people look at you like, "Who is this? Uh, who is this odd guy? Who does he think he is? Where does he think he's coming from? What, what does he think he knows?" and uh, where is he going with all this and you know they begin to look at you with some strange eye and you risk losing your social standing so 
few years ago, maybe three years ago, I would have mocked any male friend of mine who fancied the idea of getting married, getting married at uh, 23 years or even 24. Uh, in the words of an insane individual, I'd have told them that getting married by 23, 24, 25 years is the same as living a night party by 8 p.m. But I haven't found the statistical evidence showing that the age of marriage in past you know centuries were lower than i thought because i expected okay maybe ladies get married at 25 men why well, i don't know why you should be getting into marriage at 30 and anything less than 30 anything less than 30 felt like uh felt like you were wasting your your pk well but I, I i guess what was informing that opinion Aside that, aside the whole uh, economic downslide that took us to where we are with late marriages, is the hedonistic culture that I found myself really buying into. You know, the playboy life, um, have as many ladies as as you want, enjoy your life. You know, marriage is bondage. Yes, 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 exactly. Marriage is bondage. So I thought marriage is bondage. Uh, if you're going to get into it, you should, you know, spend your life as a free man, you know, enjoy it. Then when it's 30, you know, you can pack up and leave the streets. So if I had found any male friend of mine who said, I want to get married at age 23 or 24, and I said, dude, you are insane. Don't you want to enjoy life? Don't you want to be free? Don't you want to be a free man? Don't you want to have as many ladies as you want before you go into bondage? But now I know better and I ask, who cares about a night party at all? I, I don't care about a night party. Alright, so um, the recent development of economic life might make early marriage, of course, not earlier than 18, less fashionable, but it doesn't make you wrong. So, Yet, I am bothered that there are people who sit comfortably with the idea that a girl at 20 is a child. Alright? But if you check through history, you will find out that 20, you know, the age 20, historically, has never been addressed as a child. It's, it's, it's an exceptionally recent development that we look at a 20-year-old uh, person, an adult... And say, oh, this person is still a child. I think what we should be doing is investigating why people are getting mature later than you know we would expect. Now, the uh, the age of adulthood, I'm sure, in most countries is 18 years old. Of course, I know maybe the scientific research says the brain doesn't fully mature until 25. So, what, what are you going to do? Now, not everybody's um, brain is going to mature at age 25, but we have to set a pace, you know, that allows people mature progressively. Uh, mature progressively, of course, without hipping them with too much burden. But it is totally, totally absurd to conceive of a 20-year-old adult as a child. And I hold the notion that people who promote this idea that a 20-year-old girl, to be, to be precise, that a 20-year-old girl is a child, uh, are seeking to push um, a subtle hedonistic angle because they... they 
those things are usually attached to, of course, yes, pursuing achievements in life and enjoying your peak years. And the description of what they mean by enjoying your peak years include partying, um, you know, having casual sex, uh, hooking up with different guys, like I said, partying, I, I mentioned that earlier, you know, just having fun, you know, the hedonistic culture. But I am against the hedonistic culture. Uh, I don't, I, I find it utterly disgusting. And so there's no reason why I should see, the, see a 20-year-old as a child. It's, it's absurd. And when I, when I check with some of the men, when I, when I study some men who I love the death of their, death of their character. So when I check in with some of the men I really admire in history, I, I, and I admire the death of their character. I see that they, that these men married early and it was a great thing. And it was a lot better than uh, living the night party early uh, jargon that um, is rife online now. So to be clear, I need to make this clear because uh, I stand the risk of being misconstrued. So to be clear, pointing out historical precedents and recently by asking on an argument to return to the way things were. As I said, uh, the disadvantage of recency bias is in harsh judgments. You know, not necessarily poor slanted ones. We make poor slanted decisions and judgments all the time but the it is the problem is in the defiant insistence that this is the way things are and that this is the best way things delusional to think that all advancements have certainly yielded improvement so it is only wise to look to the past to pick and choose what they did better than us instead of doubling down on what we already favor so the aim, the, the aim of learning about biases is to know what might be wrong with our own perceptions, understanding and cognitive judgments. So that is that about recency bias. Uh, I'll just, so just take it from the top again. Uh, I said recency bias is the act of untethering a current norm from its historical context and risking the mistake of taking that norm as an objective standard. So uh, using the story of Jesus, and the Pharisees, when they asked him about divorce, and Jesus said from the beginning, it was not so, right? So, uh, we, to revisit again, the biggest downside to recency bias is the harsh judgment and the uh, aggressive attacks on, um, on, on historical wisdom. Allow me to put it that way. Alright, and the defiant clinging to our standard and calling every other thing substandard so uh that is that about recency bias you can you know listen to the podcast read my newsletter and use this thing to you know help shape your reasoning uh construct better arguments uh sculpt your opinions and you know just enjoy living all right. Thank you once again for listening to Busy Minds Podcast. I hope to reach you again very, very soon.